the talk of London. And we welcome to the studio once again for the second week in a row and what we hope will be part of an ongoing series uh, every Wednesday at this time. Um, Robert Metz, who is the Ontario president of the Freedom Party, and Jeff Schlemmer, who is a local uh, community, uh, he's a lawyer and community activist. Um, these gentlemen represent, respectively, the right and the left side of the political spectrum, although... And I, I think this is good and says a lot about our country. They do believe some of the same things. They, they don't leave here at the end of the program taking shots at each other or tripping each other as they go out the door. I think that's positive. But generally speaking, they have a different viewpoint, uh, on a dif differing viewpoint on the issues of the day, and that's why they're here. I'm going to try to sit somewhere in the center where I'm most comfortable and, uh, and uh, participate in the discussion. And we invite you to participate, too. 643-1290 is the telephone number, star 1290 on the Cantel. If you hear anything that with which you particularly agree or disagree or you think you can add something to the discussion by joining it we do welcome you to do that so gentlemen I want to today take a look at the issue of the right to strike very much in the news the last little while the Tories have suggested uh, that they uh, uh, they want to remove that right from public sector workers temporarily they say to facilitate a smooth changeover, given all the uh, the restructuring that they're doing in the province, um, school boards, and just, just a whole a myriad of things. They say if we can put a temporary moratorium on public sector strikes, it will enable us to, uh, to get through these things, to readjust the community, readjust the society, and then when everything's kind of on an even keel again, then we will um, reinstate the ability of public sector workers to strike. Uh, some people on the right characterize this as uh, exactly the right thing to do and perhaps just the beginning of even more stringent restrictions on public sector striking. Many people on the left feel that it's a direct attack at the concept of collective bargaining that is a proven concept, at least in their minds. Um, Bob Metz, I'd like to start, start with you this morning. Hi, Jim. Um, which... I was going to say, which side are you on? That's very good, Jim. We know which side you are on. On this issue... Do you agree with the the what we hear from many people on the right that not only is this an appropriate thing now that maybe we should go farther than that? Well, I, I might be among them. Um, you know, basically, uh, just as a matter of principle, I don't think anything that is a monopoly, particularly a government-granted monopoly, that 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 in industry should even have a right to strike. It should have different kinds of protections built in. But having said that, I don't support the monopoly. And I think that to say that you're going to remove temporarily the right to strike is a very noble gesture, but I think the ultimate aim in either case is to make the right to strike almost ineffectual even if you have it in a competitive environment um, where, you know, if one company goes on strike and you can get what they're selling from another source, everybody will run over there and, and, and the consumer and the customer and the citizen isn't left hang, you know, holding the bag. Jeff Schlemmer, uh, from uh, the left side of the spectrum, uh, how do you look at this issue that the government has brought forward, and what, how do you feel about what Bob said? Well, I guess the first thing is that, uh, and I've been involved in uh, collective bargaining from both sides. As you know, I uh, was the management representative for the last police contract and, uh, in fact, was the uh, uh, one of the first lawyers to unionize in Ontario history and negotiated our first collective agreement. Basically, without the right to strike, there's no point having a union. That uh, The reason unions exist is to balance off some of the... Uh, uh, of the power that uh, management has, and I don't see why 
uh, Premier Harris needs uh, to take away that right any more than General Motors or any private company. Sure, it's going to be more convenient to undertake a, a substantial change if you can't strike. But again, uh, that's true for for any large uh, business. Uh, I guess from my end of it, I'm aware that unions generally are very reluctant to strike. We don't have a lot of strikes in Ontario. And uh, in this case, uh, I guess from my end of it, if the Premier is saying, trust us, we're going to be fair about this, we're going to do a good job, then I don't see why they should worry about a strike. There won't be a strike if he does a, a good job for people. I, you know, when, when I hear what you're saying, you, you, again, this came up last week, you speak of the power of management and the power of corporations. Um, again, on a free market where people would be competing and there would be competition, that power would be severely limited. It's only a power to negotiate. And when we see what most strikes are called for, they're for things like job security and wage increases, which to me are the two most illegitimate reasons to go on strike I could think of. A, job security does not exist. It is an unreal concept. It does not exist in reality because everyone's job depends upon the goods and services that they're providing to their society. And if those society or, or if those uh, goods and services aren't in demand anymore, your job is not needed. It's just as simple as that. And nobody can provide you with that security. As to wages, I think labor should be put on the same level as business. They're, everything should be competitive, and people should be able to to compete with their labor. So that teachers should be competing amongst each other. Uh, I believe the same thing should be happening in the medical profession, so that we can see a lowering of prices in, in a general way, rather than constantly seeing an upward price and a lower of service. You know. So are you saying then that uh, that the ability to strike? is pushing prices and pushing costs uh, higher than they need to be? Absolutely. And, and, and I don't for a minute think that strikes are in the interests of the workers. A strike is a profoundly anti-labor action. Uh, you know, when a guy who's getting paid 20 bucks an hour is going on strike, uh, what he's really saying is, or the government is saying, is we're going to protect you from the worker who is willing to work for 15 bucks an hour or 18 bucks an hour. Uh, to me, that is a way of keeping those types of people unemployed, and, and it's a way of keeping prices from dropping. Well, what it, comes, it seems to come down to for me is a question of sort of how the world works, and this may be where you and I are fundamentally different. For me, the world works based on power. And I would like to say that it works based on justice and fairness, but I don't think it does. And uh, we, I think, have a different view of how much power uh, wealthy business people tend to have. Uh, I, I was out yesterday and saw Frank Stronach uh, speak, uh, and as you know, uh, he's the chair of Magna International, 140 business uh, factories around the world, has 140,000 employees, made $40 million last year. Uh, I think I complained about his salary last week. But anyway, he said that... Uh, that unions, from his perspective, are the only reason that we have environmental laws, are the only reason that we have safety laws. He says, you know, that left to big business back at the turn of the century, uh, the conditions for workers were uh, were bad, and uh, that unions came along and balanced that. And it's not that government has granted unions uh, some power just for the for the well, planet. I, I won't pushed it hard for those rights. I won't deny that government uh, did not, you know, fulfill its proper function at certain periods in history, and that other groups like unions occasionally actually pushed for positive legislation that that. Benefit at all, but the you know the environmental laws that I would support are those that protect everyone's right to their own property, so you can sue if somebody does damage to you and that type of thing. But you know you talk about how the world works and that it's based on power. Um, that may be true, but that's no reason to continue advocating more of it. Because you at the same time when you say that, I, I, I catch a tone of cynicism from you as though well you wish it wasn't like that. We, I wish I had some more justice. But then when someone suggests a, a means of justice, you you don't want to have that. You want to give more power to the other side so that we escalate this supposed war. 
I think business should be competitive. I don't think it should have any government protections, and I think labor should be competitive for the same reason. This is Left, Right, and Center on Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. If you'd like to join the discussion with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, the lines are open at 643-1290. If you're a Cantel customer, the number is star 1290. Whether you... Well-informed, opinionated, controversial. That's Jim Chapman, and this is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. It is indeed, and this is a regular feature we call Left, Right, and Center. Jeff Schlemmer on the left, uh, Bob Metz on the right, and yours truly somewhere floundering in the center. Uh, we've been talking this morning about the right to strike. And gentlemen, I want to, uh, I'm going to put this question to Jeff first. L let us suppose, f just for the time being, that the provincial government is successful in their efforts to do this, to suspend the right to strike. And let us suppose that uh, at the end of... Uh, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it takes to complete this transition, they then allow the public sector that right again. And let us suppose that they have affected the, tra the, the transition and have things in place pretty much the what they, way they wanted. And, and let us suppose even further that most Ontarians are relatively comfortable with this because they've got where they thought they were going to go. Uh, I know this is long-winded, but I, there is a point to it. Do you think, Jeff, that at that point, say 18 months out, it, when they restore the right to strike, have they irreparably damaged the concept of collective bargaining because they have arbitrarily suspended it? Would there be a future for collect? I mean, a real meaningful future for collective bargaining given that precedent? Well, I, I don't, I don't see that scenario unfolding because there'll be court challenges all over the place and everything. But if, if those things all occurred, then no, I don't think it's damaged irreparably. That uh, if you have a right to strike, it, it, say it's a balance in terms of negotiating power. And uh, you know, I, I negotiate for a living, and and I'm very aware that you have to have. Uh, first of all, you have to assess each party's strengths so that you can come to some solution. And generally, you don't have two equally balanced parties, and that's reflected in the settlement. So if that scenario came to pass, then uh, you know, collective bargaining could certainly take place again. And we had heard before that when the social contract came in that that had irreparably damaged uh, the, the ability to, uh, of unions to effectively represent people. Uh, life goes on. But, but in that scenario, though, if that should happen, if they pass that legislation, then there will be a variety of court challenges. It'll be interesting to see what the courts make of it all. Um, but it, 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 the unions, I think, feel that they can't go down without a, uh, the mother of all fights on this. Robert Metz, you alluded earlier to the, uh, to the legal uh, solution for some of these kinds of problems, that you can take it to court, you can use the legal system to, uh, to, 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 to establish and protect your position. Uh, Jeff's talking about a number of legal legal challenges if the government does go ahead and say you can't strike it's going to end up in the courts uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing well it's a good thing if the legal challenge is based on a legitimate contract which was voluntarily agreed to in in, in the beginning um, I mean you're talking about our, our, our the government arbitrarily suspending the right to strike well the right to strike is sort of an arbitrary piece of legislation in the first place so I don't think that this scenario would damage the concept of it intrinsically but nevertheless um, again, the right to strike is, 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 is a right that's given to some people and not to others. And 
that in and of itself makes it an unequal law, if you know what I mean. But there's a, there's a, a, a parallel story unveil, unfolding here today, and that's the, uh, the hospital workers who have reportedly rejected the offer that's been made to them. Um, they want significantly more increases and so on and so on. Um, they are telling us that uh, because they do have the ability to strike, that they are, in fact, negotiating with their employer. And in the way that you say they should, there should be an exchange of value. They are saying, well, if you want us to do this job, it's going to cost you this much money. And the employer is saying, we're not willing to pay that. Uh, who's, the, who's the victim? Who's the villain in this? Well, no one's a villain and no one's a victim. It should be allowed to be a free negotiation. If the employee says, well, I'm not willing to do this job for X dollars per hour, well, then the employer should be able to say, well, nice knowing you. And we'll take the person who is willing to do that. I don't see a problem with that. Uh, that is the very process that should exist in an economic society if you want it to prosper. If we're continuing on this process of constantly increasing prices without any, any measurable increase in the product that's being given, which is definitely not the case, we're getting a decrease in the product, um, that's absurd. How can a society exist like that? Well, let, me, let, let me ask you this question, though. If you take the scenario whereby you have a, an absolutely free market in labor, um, and mm -hmm. this, this is one of the contentions that people have, and Jeff would probably would make this for me, but I want to do it right here quickly. Um, you have a free market in labor. You have a company that is very, very profitable. Um, you, you have the workers ultimately living at a subsistence level. Uh, the argument can be made, well, no, the, the, you know, the uh, employer is going to share the wealth because it's good for the community, it's good for the economy. Um, but human nature seems to dictate that as often as not, that wouldn't happen. And you would have an employer who was reaping tremendous benefits. Now, again, I, the, the employer makes the investment, invests the capital, has the idea. Do, do they deserve the profits? Well, yet yeah, deserve, yes. But if they feel no social responsibility, no responsibility to their community or the people that work for them, is there not the danger that an absolutely free market employment market is going to end up with a whole horde of poorly paid people and a small no, group of very happened. wealthy people? Never happened. Never happened. Never will. People will not. People do not willingly sit at the subsistence level, or if they're there, they do, they do so willingly, especially for something else to go on. You painted a rather broad scenario. You gave me a lot of what-ifs. First of all, what if the, the company person is making a big profit? Well, if that were true in a free market, a lot of his employees might look at that and say, well, we're going to start a business just like this and go into business for ourselves and, you know, screw you. We're going to start and start and get make our own money. But if, we'll stop if, them. But if they're working at subsistence level, even if there's a whole lot of them, where are they going to get the money? Well, from? then it might be another employer. It might be you. It might be me. It might be a banker. It might be a rock star. It might be anybody who's got the capital, which is what you need to start up. You know, we're, we're talking in a vacuum here. We're not talking about a particular product, but. Um, who, who would offer the capital to start up a business. The point is the competition is there. Nobody's forcing anyone to subsistence level. And we cannot force employers because they're serving such a great, uh, virtuous thing to society to be able to employ people. I mean, very few people in this world are capable of employing other people and providing the expertise and taking the risk and doing that kind of thing. And as a society, we constantly gang up on them. And I think that's not a nice thing but, uh, to do. One thing I don't understand <laughs> is what vehicle the workers can use, though. And it seems to me that you advocate a free market model where workers would offer their labor up at whatever going rate there is and negotiate for the best uh, amount they can with the employer. And I don't see how they can do that if they're not all together. To do it individually, you know, to argue that an individual worker well, you, working for Frank the has the same power. See, it's they like, just don't have the same power. Well, then you're saying, then, then let's argue the other side of the coin. Then you're saying, well, gee, I don't know how businessmen can possibly make it in the marketplace. They should all be working all together, and so they should all get 
get together and form cartels and monopolies. Can you show so me though are you can... suggesting individual workers should each negotiate their contracts? Well, it may be it may be practical in certain industries, particularly large ones, to have collective contracts. I have no problem with that as long as no one is forced to join a union, and forced to uh, and by that I mean forced to pay any kind of union dues against their will. Which you know, like Ivan Rand. Hey, this is the first dean of the law school at Western that invented that, I have to tell you. That's true. How do you, how, how Rand do you, formula. if you have a collective agreement, which you're, which you're suggesting, uh -huh. how can you have a collective agreement if, if any individual is able to opt out at any time? Well, for example, say you and I, and uh, like personally, I think a union should move with the employee, not with the employer. I find it very funny that unions are supposed to represent employees, but they affix themselves to an industry. They affix themselves to a particular service or employer, where I think a legitimate union, if I wanted to be a member of a union, I would want to see a, a union that went where I went, that I could join XYZ union, and all the members of XYZ union, we'd have a team of negotiators, we would be paying this union for services that we would directly want and need, uh, including negotiation. I mean, the potential is unlimited. But, but you want the trade unions are like that. that you know, you Some of them are, that's true. Yeah, but again, again, they're operating in, a, in, a, in this semi-cloud of a monopoly. In but would you, would you want those, the, the, that XYZ union, would you want it to negotiate for you as an individual? Wouldn't that get incredibly expensive? Well, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't negotiate for me as an individual. It, well, it wouldn't be expensive in the sense of if I, if the cost of my um, union dues covered the cost of it. I mean, that's. Yeah, I have to determine whether the value of the union is beneficial to me. If it's not, I wouldn't join. Well, that's one of the ironies right now. Sorry to talk about uh, that. Until the last government was elected provincially, there had been talk over the years about whether unions were still relevant. And uh, Stronach made this argument yesterday that uh, with the laws that we have nowadays, are unions still necessary uh, in the world we live in? And uh, you know, the analogy is if, if you're a dragon slayer, you have to have a dragon around, or you're or you're out of work. And uh, and this current government, in a lot of ways, has done uh, done wonderful things to rejuvenate the unions and uh, bring people back into the fold and so on. And, I'm sure that uh, Gord Wilson goes to bed every night thanking God that Mike Harris exists. Uh, it's a yin and yang. You have to have one or you can't have the other. Well, that's an interesting argument, but I don't think it exactly addresses the, the legitimacy of a union. It comes back to, you know, workers unite. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that old old phrase. And to me, workers should be competing with each other. That's what they're out there to do, and that's how you get the best value for your money in the long term in an economy. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Left, right, and center is this portion of the program. And uh, although you, like me, are probably sitting there enjoying the conversational uh, cut and thrust between Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, we do want to remind you that you're invited to join it, too. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you at 643-1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. It is. And this portion of Talk of the Town, we are pleased to call left, right, and center. Jeff Schlemmer, London lawyer and community activist, is on the left. Robert Metz, the uh, Ontario president of the Freedom Party, is on the right. And uh, we are going to the phones right now, where Les is waiting for us. Good morning, Les. Hi, Mr. Robert Metz just mentioned that competing. I have no problem with competing with a worker, but there... Today's economy, right, there is no such a thing as you have in the stock market and say, well, you compete with this product in Mexico, right, mm -hmm. where you would make a lot of profit, right, because the workers are paid $2 an hour a day. Uh, they, they virtually have no environmental protection, mm -hmm. but yet these cars, let's say, let's say uh, take a company, uh, a GM, right, mm -hmm. building the cars at Mexico, it's, it's, it's ridiculous for human right mm -hmm. 
environmental reasons, but because they own so many workers or so many factories in America, they allow to bring on the, in those products without any kind of tariff or whatever, because global companies are, can be controlled right now. And a lot of people asking the questions that who can control them, all the thing what happens to them is profit. And I would, I would rather be competing with a person who say, okay, these, these people are, are making very good product, very hard workers, and these companies are the, the best who are treating the workers the best, and et cetera, et cetera, and this is the companies on the top. But it's simply not the case. Les, I have a quick question for you. I'd like Bob respond, though. Maybe not a question, but just an observation. If the, the, the cost differential, if the low wages and the lack of environmental protections and so on in Mexico uh, means so much to the automobile manufacturers in terms of being able to, you know, this is going to save us a zillion dollars, and these, well, while it's wonderful, we don't have to pay our North American wage scales. Why aren't all autom uh, automobiles in North America being built in Mexico? Why don't they just move everything to Mexico because if that makes such a difference? What they do, Jim, I tell you how they do it is you see they take the things out of Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. So they take the jobs away, et cetera, et cetera, and they build them there for a while. And after they, they say, okay, we'll bring it back, but now this, this worker who made this and that, they bring him back because a $10 job an hour, right? So it's they just playing the field that they, you are in fear. So it doesn't matter what you do. Like, I read you that, that thing and you laugh at it. Like, you know, you are in fear all the time. And this society is, is operates in fear, competition, and human misery. And as long as we are in fear, as long as you have fear on your job and for your, for your everyday existence, you will be fearing something. And it's not what you do. It's like, will, will you, can you do it? Can you eat? Where is there a job, though, that you don't? I mean, I, I have a certain amount of fear about my job. I could exactly, get fired but, tomorrow. But it, it, you shouldn't have a fear if you really do your best. I mean, well, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, okay, let's see. Can, now you have to compete with, uh, with a guy who does it for free, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. Well, but you wouldn't. Why would you? Les, you're, you're making an assumption that you want to compete with some guy who's willing, for, willing to work for two bucks an hour. Why would you even think that way? Why aren't you looking at the guy who's making 15 bucks an hour and seeing what skills he has, or 20 bucks or whatever, and trying to emulate that? Then you wouldn't be in such fear. The, the fear comes from not being prepared for the marketplace, and none of us can stop that. Computers are coming. A new age is coming. We're getting into a whole new technology. A lot of the things that we're doing today are going to go by the way of the horse and buggy routine, and you can't be clinging to that horse and buggy because if you're, if you're worried about fear, you just hang on to that horse and buggy. You see, you're assuming that I'm fearing, like I'm not fearing. Well, you told me that. But, but what he's fearing, it's not you're not getting your job because because uh, uh, most um, you're not getting your job because you have a skill today. Like you need only certain sort of skill. Economy, economies only create wealth. That's well, all creating. No, the, well, every everyone wants wealth. I mean, even wages are wealth. You know, wages are just an, another name we give to the word profit when it's made in the in the connection of a contract with someone else who's offering you a, a, a wage and labor contract. But the, but the issue of competition, I mean, that's essential to the health of everyone's ability to get a job. If we start looking at competition as something to be afraid of, we will find ourselves locked in a corner and not able to see all the opportunities that would otherwise avail themselves. And we've got to stop thinking constantly about ourselves being workers or employees for someone else. We've got to think of getting in the business for ourselves. And Les, I appreciate yeah. your call. We've got a lot of people waiting, though, and we're going to go next to uh, Susan. Hello, Susan. Good morning, Jim. Hi. Hi. Um, depends on whether or not you sign the front of your paycheck. I'm sorry? Well, that, isn't that what the right to strike is about, is removing your labor? Um, 
making a choice, an informed choice to remove your labor. Mm -hmm. It's not an issue for people who sign the front of their paychecks. Who signs people the... who sign the front of well, um, self-employed people, oh, okay. All right, I business get... people, okay, you know, sure. people who produce, uh, mm -hmm. people who, um, yeah, you know, that's that's a very significant issue. Um, I believe at least one of your guests doesn't sign the front of his paycheck. I don't sign the front of my paycheck. I don't sign the front of mine either. <laughs> I'm but, not. I'm not no, sure. That's that's the you know that's one of the questions is Wait. can you to in terms of negotiating. Is one of the things you can do, remove your labor. From right, the and that's just a, a part of negotiating. Uh, and in a way, it's not that uh, strikes are, the, are sort of the end of the world, that the government will come crashing to a halt tomorrow if there's a strike. You're right, it's simply a, a negotiating tactic which may exert pressure at a particular point in negotiation. Uh, it's not the end of the world to have a strike. But that, that's not the issue. I, I'm not, I'm not going to deny every, every one of us, whether we have the right, or, right to strike or not, has a right to remove our labor from our employers. You can do that even if you haven't got a union. But the issue that's at stake here is that when you remove your labor, do you have the right to remove someone else's labor from the employer? Do you have well, a right to democracy, though? Don't they have to have a vote before they can go on strike? Yep. Well, within a union, but I'm not talking within that fixed concrete. I'm talking about the, re the total relationship between employee and employer. When an employee, whether it's a collective body of 2,000 employees or just one, it's the same principle. If they decide to remove their labor from that employer, they have every right to do that, but they don't have the right to stop other people who are unemployed from filling their positions. But if a majority, and that's, that's not a, a right. The whole other issue about replacement workers we can get into in a minute, but as far as if you're negotiating and you're negotiating with some very skilled people who have a lot of very expensive lawyers, shouldn't you bargain in the most effective way you can and bring as much pressure to bear as you can? Well, sure. And that, and part of, and, that, and is threatening, and part of that is threatening to take away your labor. If your employer values you enough that he, he doesn't want to lose you because he's put in years of investment in, into your training, into everything else, he's not exactly eager to even get that guy who might be a buck or two cheaper an hour because it's not worth it to him. He'd rather pay you the extra money. So if you're putting him in that position, though, and he's forced into that position, there should be no laws and no restrictions preventing him from going to other people. Susan, appreciate your call today. Good to hear from you. And we're going quickly to Chuck. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning to your guests. Hello. Uh, Bob, um, I know you're a Freedom Party. Mm -hmm. I've listened to you before. But to me, I don't know whether you're running in circles or what. You sure got me going in circles. Well, what's the problem? I mean, you call yourself a Freedom Party, and a Freedom Party to me is somebody that... Okay, I'm free. I'm a Robin Hood. I can go do this and I can do that. Now, what did I say to make you think that? Huh? What did I say to make you think that? Well, it's, it's, your, it's your, your, your freedom party. Like you say, uh, uh, certain well, people well, have a monopoly. But am I not advocating the freedom? The government must monopoly, too. Sure, you're free, but you, you're free to the point that, uh, as I say, you sound like a freedom party to me sounds like a Robin Hood. If you want to do anything, you do it. Absolutely and there's no, no consideration. <laughs> that, that, that's what the party sounds like you, to you me. You have the right to do what you want to do, but you've got to bear the consequences for what you do. That's what we're advocating here. Yeah. And if you go on strike and your employer doesn't want you, and uh, you can't force your opinion on them. That, that's what I would call wanting to do what you want to do and force well, sure. your opinion on and someone else. And I'm not freedom. I'm, you, can do, you can do that, right? 
No, you can't. You well, can't what do you call yourself the Freedom Party for? But because anyway, I don't as far as the strikes force. are concerned, I don't believe in initiating force in, uh, well, in, in economic, social, or political arena. Yeah, okay. Then, then you don't believe in the government initialing force on this on this. Absolutely rate. correct. You're getting the point now, Chuck. Yeah. That's exactly okay. That's what I say. You're a Freedom Party, and this is. Uh, well, do you, do you agree with that? Do you think it's ever right to to initiate force? I mean, to not to defend yourself, not in self-defense, but to actually, let's say, hit somebody. Just you, you want to go after him. You think that's ever right? Can well, it, it's not every right, but when you call yourself a freedom party, well, that's what it sounds like to me. But anyway, when you get so back to the So you think the word freedom means that I have a right to go hit somebody on the head? That's what you're telling me. Well, that, that, uh, as you say, that, that's the way I figure. I figure well, well, you know, that, that's, you, a lot of people think like that, Chuck. A lot of people believe that. Yeah. And, and I think the problem is that they've been sold a false bill of what freedom means by the governments that are giving us a false <laughs> bill of freedom. Freedom means exactly the opposite. Yeah, but freedom is a limit. Freedom means that I don't have the right to hit you on the head, and you don't have the right to hit me on the head. Well, you better change the name of your party. Government. But anyway, you were talking about monopolies. Well, why isn't the government's a monopoly? You were talking about business and monopolies, and you were talking about strikes. But, I mean, you guys are, are young. You don't realize what... But the government is a monopoly on the use of force, not a monopoly in the economic sense. A government is an instrument oh, of yes, justice. Oh, yes, it is an, an economic. Yes. Well, well, it is. is tax, it, no, is that, true. What, what, I'm sorry, what about your taxes? Government. Your taxes are economic, aren't they? You're right. You're correct. Okay. I'm, I'm so why aren't they, they, they? But I'm not agreeing with those types of taxes and those types of laws. That's what I'm saying. Chuck, I have to leave it there. We've got a lot of people waiting, but thank you for your call. And Rick's up next. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. How are you this morning? Fine, thanks. That's good. I'm glad to hear that you're keeping your 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 sanity in this. <laughs> uh, the Freedom Party's stance on the right to strike, uh -huh. and, and we started this topic off about them removing the public servant right. Okay, to Rick, I, I just want to interject just for one moment here. Although Bob is uh, very involved in the Freedom Party, he is not here to speak for the Freedom Party. Okay. He is here to speak as a Canadian whose uh, philosophical views fall on what is generally considered to be the right side of the spectrum. So I don't want the oh, program... Oh, okay, that was my misunderstanding. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, the question about whether or not, and bringing it back, and, and will disregard labor unions and just go with public servants here? Mm-hmm. If I have a skill set that says I should be making sixty, sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars a year, uh, you know, I could be lawyer, uh, teacher, whatever. Yeah. I go in, and and whether or not I have a union, I say to the employer, "This is what I should be making. Mm -hmm. This is what this skill set says I should be making." Mm -hmm. Okay. I get the job, and in a year, I have to compete with somebody that that may not have the complete skill set that's willing to do the job for thirty thousand dollars. Yes. Who's losing in this? I'm not. You know, I don't care because I'll go someplace else. Right. Well, I'm the, the worker. The, I don't care. The problem with your your example. No, no. Right? The problem with your example. No, is, no. Wait a minute. You've made a point. Let Bob respond. You, you talked about you know you should be making sixty thousand dollars. How can you possibly even? make up a figure like that unless you're on a competitive market where everyone's competing and and you can actually determine objectively what the, a particular job is worth you can't just out of the blue say well you know teachers should be making sixty thousand bucks a year i don't think that's true i think they're grossly overpaid not in terms of the work they do and what they commit to but in terms of what the marketplace would actually command if we had a free market in education uh... well i i'll tell you that if if you compared the five levels of professions that the teachers belong to, 
uh, being doctors, lawyers, engineers, preachers, and teachers, uh, they call the five true professions, then when you put that into context, then teachers aren't making very much money. No, but I, I, I have to and come wait back. Wait a minute, wait a minute, let me finish. All right. Now, if I'm a worker that has a skill set, and if I'm a teacher with 14 or 15 or 16 years experience, and I can command a salary right now of $60,000. Ah, but that's different. You're saying command rather than I should get. Command is altogether different. That means that your value in the marketplace right. determines that amount That of means money. you would get it. Well, and yeah. there wouldn't be an issue. Okay, but if I'm... Uh, uh, but now what you're saying is that I should have to negotiate with uh, a teacher coming out, and I'm going to go back to teachers because that's what you started bashing. Uh, Who started bashing You teachers? did. Teachers what? are grossly overpaid. That's a I, bash. I, well, no. Well, they are overpaid because they're on a, they're on a monopolistic market, uh, and some of well, them may be underpaid. Mono monopolistic well, sure market. they are. You tell me that, that uh, Matthews Hall isn't a comp direct competitor to the public school system. It, would, it would be if you took the, uh, if you took the uh, education component out of the taxes of the people who send their kids to ah, Matthews Hall. Right. Now that's, that's, and if, if you, you took the choice. taxes out, then, then we're not doing a level playing field here. No, no, that's nonsense. That, that, taking the taxes out would create a level playing field. There isn't a level playing field now. No, sure there is. Everybody in this province, in this country, is entitled to the same education. And we all pay taxes for it, right? We all pay taxes for okay, it. Okay, and you're absolutely right. But for you then to say that there's competition from Matthews Hall is, is nothing short of nonsense. There is no competition. There is no level playing field as long as you're being penalized for taking your child out of the main system. You can't have it both ways, Rick. I have to leave it there. I'm sorry. We've got a bunch of people waiting. We want to get as many people on as we can. And we've got Andrew up next. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Jim. Yes, sir. I just want to ask a quick question. Yeah. Has uh, any unions ever negotiated, like, say, the company or the government that they're union of is sort of in financial trouble, like we are so many billions of dollars of debt. Have they ever negotiated the lower wage for their employees instead of just getting rid of one employee? Oh, so sure. to help out the company so the economic times get a little better? Oh, sure. Although you should understand we're not living in bad economic times. We're in the middle of an economic boom and have been for the last three years. Uh, that if you're a stock investor right now, times have never been better. But Leaving that aside, sure, companies do that all the time. And look at Chrysler back in was it 1980 when they were in big trouble and uh, Lee Iacocca came in and brought out the K-car and so on. The workers negotiated reductions. And what they'll usually try to do is negotiate for a, a, prof, a, a participation in subsequent profit. But, Jeff, isn't it true that in most cases, when push comes to shove, if the option is to reduce the workforce or reduce the wage overall, the, uh, the unions opt for reducing the, work, well, the workforce. No, the unions, sure. the unions are, again, as somebody mentioned earlier, a democratic organization. They do what the majority of their, of their uh, people want them to do. But, but that is something, you're right, that, that uh, historically they have negotiated to try to maintain salaries, I guess. They're, they're just deaf on the idea of going backwards. Uh, but it's up to the individual union. There's nothing to say anyone uh, has to do one thing. How many other. unions today have uh, have secret ballot as opposed to a show of hands? I know that a few years ago there was a lot of concern that many, many unions, people, union members felt they were being uh, intimidated because they had to make a public show of their vote. Uh, well, I... Because in the absence of a, pri of, a, of, a, of, a, of a secret vote, it is not a democracy. In our union, we took a strike vote when we did our first collective agreement, and it was a secret ballot. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. In Would you agree that, 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 that a secret ballot it has to be one of the criteria for, that, in fact, being a democratic process? Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. No okay. question.
I, th I think uh, another point here, you know, we're talking about unions negotiating wages and keeping the wages high and everything. We have to realize that that's part of the process that's put the people in those unions today into trouble. You cannot ignore the competition in the world. You might want to, you might have justify it or rationalize it a million different ways, but as long as there are other human beings in the world competing and wanting to live and wanting to have a better standard of liber li living, we, can't, we cannot artificially protect ourselves from that. And to art keep our wages artificially high to satisfy a certain standard of living, you're going to lose that standard of living. But I'm not aware of our unions being in trouble. That uh, The people to me who are in unions are the ones who have weathered through the, the recession in 1990 to 93, the, the, the best of any of them. Uh, I, I don't think the people in unions generally perceive they're in trouble, and I don't think that union participation is any lower than it has been historically, although that's changed in the States. Well, I, you know, my, my father, when he was alive, used to run uh, two construction companies. One was union, one was non-union. The, the, the non-union company, the employees were employed year-round. The union company, they only got seasonal employees because there just wasn't the work out there for them at that wages. And I've seen that pattern in comparative industries where you can compare them. You'll see it consistently. Andrew, do you have a final comment? Uh, just uh, Bell Canada, they were making so much profit, yet they're axing people right and left, and still they made hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And they all the, instead of uh, negotiating for lower wages, like I, I know a few of them would say, they would take a pay cut in order to keep their job and just get rid of them. But if Bell Canada doesn't need those people to make its profits, why should it keep them on? That would be wasting money, wouldn't it? I hope you don't mind that I over to Sprint, though, just because of that. Really <laughs> well, that may be, but... You <laughs> know, exercise my free market that's, right. <laughs> that's the money they use to invest in capital to create more jobs in the future, and if we... You know, but they're not investing, down. they're taking profits out of it. Well, well Andrew, we infrastructure. appreciate your call today, Andrew. Folks, we're uh, continuing with our program. This is Left, Right, and Center on Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Gord's our next caller. Good morning, Gord. Hi, how are you, Jim? Fine, thanks. Okay, I'm just uh, wondering there, you know, like uh, unions, any time there's been a strong unions in the country, the standard of living and the quality of life has been brought up. So I don't know why this union bashing. I haven't agreed on everything unions have done, but then, you know, that's... Uh, the flux of the, how things go, you know, up and down. And well, I think what you're confusing is, is something that isn't cause and effect. I think you're confusing the fact that unions happen to have arisen at a time when we were a relatively free economy and had uh, a lot of initiative and, and capitalists out there to invest money and to create the infrastructure that unions require to thrive upon. And that's what you're seeing. That unions do not create wealth in and of themselves. They need the employer on which to build. If those employers were not there and were not able to meet the demands of the unions, there'd be no jobs, there'd be no standard of living, and that's fundamentally where a lot of industries are today, despite what I think Jeff believes Needless here. Needless to say, I disagree and completely, and I, I think that the reason wages have gone up is because they've been driven up appropriately by uh, labor getting together to offer By their, forcing them up. By li labor by getting forcing together them to offer... Wait a minute, let me finish. You were saying that people are supposed to negotiate these things. Labor negotiates by getting together and saying, okay, there's uh, 3,000 of us and we're going to negotiate with, uh, with the company's lawyers and uh, get the best deal we can. That's why the standard of living has gone up. It hasn't gone up out of any benevolence on the part of, of uh, owners of business, and it's also not an invisible hand. It's nor not Adam Smith. Nor on the no, part but, of any benevolence on the part of labor either. I but, mean, everyone's there, acting in their self-interest. Isn't there another element to this, too? Uh, granted, the prosperity is there. The wages have gone up, but so have the costs of everything that we buy. Are we really that much farther ahead than we were? 
Well, you're right that uh, money is on. You know, money has no meaning in and of itself. It's a question of what your standard of living is, and it's it's I guess gone up and uh, and stayed and gone up and stayed. Right now, it seems to be fairly static, which is an unusual situation. It brings me back to the question about strikes, and right now where we've got 10% unemployment and we've got uh, legislation that permits replacement workers uh, to go on strike, it have to be really desperate. Gord, last word to you. Well, I often think that, uh, like, like a lot of things, a symbiotic relationship. I have nothing against people making profits in that. And the unions, to me, is just a, a democratic way of free enterprises, people getting together to demand the most for their, uh, you know, their services. What, well, let me ask you a quick question. What about the people who don't want to join that group but still want to do that job? Should they be excluded from that? Well, they, then I ask the question back. Should they be protected by the union that they don't want to join? No. You know, it was... Of course not. No, you know, like uh, if you don't pay your dues, you don't get the benefits of of, of what you're not paying for. It makes there, sense the, to me. The rand formula is a matter of convenience, though. It's not to say that philosophically they're no, saying it's not a matter of convenience. It's a, it's a matter of don't like to have 500 employees of whom three are not participating in the union. That wouldn't happen. You know what happened? You have five employees, and only three would want to be in the union. It's inconvenient. The, the, the non-union workers are supported by the union workers because they wouldn't get the same wages if it wasn't for the union fighting to get those wages. I'm not going to argue with you that unions have driven wages up, but I'm not saying that that's a good thing. All that means is you're going to have fewer people in that particular economic area, and I don't think that's a good thing. If you know, it's it's very funny that I find the people who like to see the wealth spread around, uh, at the same time arguing for unions, which concentrates wealth in certain pockets of of labor. Let's face it: people who are unionized as labor are an elite class of labor. They, do, they have benefits that non-union people do not have, and they certainly have benefits that unemployed people don't have. Well, that, that makes it a free enterprise system in order to... Uh, well, that's not free enterprise. To, yes, in order to attract people who are non-union, the company's going to have to provide the same benefits. So that gives them incentive as well. Well, again, that all depends upon the competitive environment, and it may work on the short term if you are... Uh, isolated from any sort of competition and the, and the demand for your product is inelastic and that means that, that people have to have what you have but under any other circumstance and for any length of time it just it cannot sustain itself I mean we're looking at the evidence today but you see this, uh, this sort of divide and conquer we've got organized labor and non-organized labor fighting over whether they're going to get a 1% raise or a wage freeze or whatever well at the same time wages for stock investors for, for business generally have gone through the roof. Well, you, to be, you know, <laughs> I, I think you seem to be suggesting that maybe we should all be investing in the stock market and forget this thing I'd about wages to. and working for somebody. Apparently that's the most valuable job you can have right now, that well, people get paid the most. They well, must there, contribute the most well, to our society. There's the advice from Jeff for all, all you folks who want to see your wages and income go up, invest in the stock market, and I, I would support that. <laughs> Thank you for the call today, Gord. Good to hear from you. We're going to pause for just a moment. More to come, and the lines are still open for you to join us on Left, Right, and Center. The telephone Phone number star 1290 if you're a Cantel customer and 643 1290 if you're not. This is Talk of the Town and 1290 CJBK, a special part of our programming. It happens every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. It's called Left, Right, and Center. On the left, Jeff Schlemmer, a noted uh, London lawyer and community activist. On the right, uh, Bob Metz, uh, uh, president of the Ontario Freedom Party. But again, as we said, he's not here to speak for the Freedom Party. He's here to speak uh, as someone who has uh, philosophically is probably more comfortable on what is generally referred to as the right side of the political spectrum. Although I think all three of us agree that those labels can be more fluid than a lot of people think they are. That's for sure. Uh, 643-1290 is the telephone number. If you'd like to join this morning, we'd welcome to welcome you doing that. And Tom's with us. Hi, Tom. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you this morning? Fine, thank well, you. Tom. Good. I'm a worker. Uh, Jim, Jim actually knows where I work. I'm a non-unionized employee. Yeah. The guy 
who decides how much I make, and the guy who decides whether I work is me and my boss. Mm -hmm. If I want to work for the wage that he's offering me, I do it. If I don't, I quit and I go and I work somewhere else. That is my freedom. Uh, a, a union doesn't provide you anything except a drain on your paycheck. Uh, a, uh, the, but Tom, what about what about the argument that that okay, a guy's going you're making X number of dollars and you've worked hard and you've established uh, you know some experience and so on. But a young guy comes along and says, "Hey, I'll do Tom's job for half as much money." Uh, where's your protection? If he can do the job and if the boss is comfortable with it, God bless him and Godspeed. And I'll go work somewhere else if I can't continue to do the job. He has the right. It's his business. So you don't. You I don't, don't like it. Start my own business. I think I'm breaking up here. Yeah, you are. You are pretty badly. So okay. you you don't feel the fear that Les talked about. Les said it was terrible that our society was run on fear because we're all afraid of losing our jobs. I'm not afraid of losing my job. God bless my boss. If he can find somebody to do my job for half of the wage that he's paying me, I tip my cap to him. People are regarding profit as a dirty word. Profit is a good thing. The more profits, the more money gets spread around, the better everyone is. Well, I've, got, I've got to hang up. I can barely hear right. you guys. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. I think uh, somebody made the comment, I think Bob made the comment earlier, that, that wages, in, in one sense, are profit. We talked about profit. Negative. Wages are profit, too. Pro profits for an individual. And I'd also say, and I agree with everything Tom said, and I'd add one more thing. He said, yeah, his boss has that right, but so that, does that other employee or a potential employee who's willing to work for half half as much as he is. And, I, and I'd love to know where he did work, because I could virtually guarantee you that he would find someone who would do the job for half the price. Well, We've he's got all kinds of professionals who are unemployed right now, all kinds well, of... Well, I'll tell you, because I know Tom's a, a, a restaurant professional. He's, okay. a pro he's a professional server, and a restaurant has done it for many years, uh, is very good at his job, and, and is, I understand, uh, relatively well paid as a result. Terrific. Uh, again, I'd, I'd be uh, uh, virtually guarantee we'll get somebody for half price if his boss wants that. Uh, and I don't know how large his organization is. I guess one of the issues becomes whether it's practical, again, for 140,000 people but to can negotiate you get an employee with of, uh, Frank Stronach. Can you get an employee of equivalent value to Tom's, to Tom's boss? You know, it's not an issue of oh, yeah, uh, sure. equal work for equal value. Yeah, I no, look no, at it as equal. good in every way. How, how, can you, how do you know that? Well, I was the chair of the Unemployment Help Center for seven years. But, but, really he's, but, but he is in a business right now where your people at the Unemployment Health Center could go down to his boss and say, right now, today, I'll work for half price. Are they doing that? Well, I hope he doesn't, but uh, certainly he should be encouraged to if he wants to. He couldn't do that. There's extremely cheap labor available right now. We've got uh, no, no, 40,000 people out of work. Uh, this is a lawyers, tremendous contradiction. Doctors, here you, you are, here you are, talking to a guy on the air named Tom. You're saying, well, please tell me where your job is. I want to get a guy in there who's willing to work half, for half as much. And yet here you are arguing about unions protecting <laughs> labor from the same process. I think I'm trying to suggest the, the fallacy in his argument and that obviously his boss does value his work, and I'm glad. And I, I, and I think that we, well, in a society, are happier and, and, and better if we're more I agree stable. With, I agree with Bob. You're, 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 you're talking out of both sides of your face yeah. here. Doesn't yeah. that demonstrate... If the value to him is that his boss thinks he's valuable, he has no union to protect him, and you're saying, that's great, then why do we need a union? But I'm assuming that Bob would agree as well that his boss should go down to the help center and get somebody for half price. If well, he if wants to. Why isn't he doing it? I mean, he must have looked around. He, Maybe he, he likes Bob. Well, that is exactly Tom. my... Or Tom, yeah. That, that is Tom. exactly... That's exactly my point. Maybe that's what he does. And but to it's me, not that he's employers, the best worker for the job. He may just like him personally. You know, employers don't value work. What they value is employees. 
and you Something. can't and you can't just because two employees may even be doing the same job does not does not make them equally valuable to that employer. But I guess that's another thing is that I hear you say that employers value employees, and I would suggest to you there are some that don't, or maybe don't as well, much. Well, sure as they, they don't, and they okay. may be very irreverent to their employees, and they may abuse them. But as long as the employee sticks around, well, who are we going to blame? But you would say that employees should vote with their feet that the, that they're the ones who are uh, to blame because they're not leaving if it's well, a bad job. Well, as long job. as there's as long as it's nothing criminal or nothing you know dangerous life and health, of course that's the only way you can vote. Otherwise, what else are you going to vote with? A club? That, that's another issue is a question about what it is that unions exist for. And I hear over and over again that particularly in the market nowadays, they don't exist to negotiate wage increases because everybody knows you're not going to get any wage increases. They negotiate well, to try and only, improve working conditions. You can only get so much blood out of a rock. Well, that's a whole other issue. There's tons of money out there, of course, but right now they're not strong enough not, to negotiate it, for a larger share of it. But okay, got, gentlemen, I have to I have to ask you, as we did last week, where we've got about uh, uh, 30 seconds for each of you to sum up, if you would. Jeff, I'll ask you to go first today. Uh, sure. That uh, Unions are uh, a necessary part of the equation right now to balance out uh, the uh, uh, power between the worker and the employer. Then, in a sense, it's the ultimate free end back on a competitive edge so that we can see the days of prosperity that we once had in the past. Thanks to both of you. Thanks to everybody who listened and participated in this part of the program and the rest of the program, too. If uh, you have any, any thoughts or comments about this or any other part of Talk of the Town, you know we'd always like to hear from you, but particularly... Left